Now, as I said a few moments ago, last week we began to study this theme of why is Christ so special? What is it about the Lord Jesus Christ that makes him stand out from anyone else in history? So much so that even the etymology of the word history is connected to the life of Christ. It literally means his story. And so history itself is focused upon Christ and what he did when he came into the world. And so, especially at this time of year, we need to ask ourselves the question, why is it that even those that don't go to church, even those that have no interest in religion, still tolerate, and not only tolerate, but often enjoy songs, carols, references, even Bible readings. You can even go to the old, the old films that the unsaved watched, even, even Peanuts, Charlie Brown. What is Christmas all about? Reading from the Gospel of Luke. And so why is it that people tend to tolerate that this time of year, but want nothing to do with Christ uh, during the rest of the year? Well, whatever their answer may be, as God's people, it most assuredly gives us the opportunity to let people know what it is about Christ that makes him so special. And of all the places in the scripture, I'm, you would be hard-pressed to find a concentrated theology where so many things are mentioned concerning the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Not only who he is, but what he did and continues to do by virtue of him coming into the world for the sake of his people. And so just in these three verses, you have a, a concentrated Christology dealing with the person and work of Christ. And so in dealing with this theme, last week we began to study what is it about Christ that makes him so special. And considering this whole section of these three verses, there are two points uh, that we are going to focus over these coming weeks. First of all, who is Christ and what, he, what has he done? And so under this section of who is Christ, the Apostle Paul tells us in these verses who Jesus Christ is. And we began to consider a number of these, uh, a couple of these phrases that you find in this section that deal directly with the person of Christ, where we read, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. So the first point that we considered last week was that Christ is the Son of God. And if you want to go back and listen to that, you can. <clears throat> you may have to fast forward through some of it. It was quite a long message. I kind of... Uh, already committed myself to not speaking as long today since there's food already warming up. So um, if you have an extra, I'm, I'm almost ashamed to say how long it was. If you have some extra time this week, you may want to go back and listen to that. And so we're not going to, to retrace what we dealt with regarding Christ being the Son of God. But the second thing we considered last week was that not only is the, he the Son of God, but he has a position of authority that has been given to him by God. Not just that he's God's son, but he occupies a place of dominion. And you read that in this text, 
where not only does it say he's spoken unto us by his son, but it says whom he hath appointed heir of all things. And so last week we dealt with that. This week I want to deal with the, the phrase, by whom also he made the worlds. By whom also he made the worlds. And again, I, I'm not going to rush through this massive topic of creation and what the Lord says about creation, not only in Genesis. Obviously, the first few chapters of Genesis gives us uh, uh, the, the account of creation, not just of the world, but also of man and man's fall into sin. But other places in the scripture, there are references to creation. And so I don't want to rush through it because it's such, a, such an important subject. Uh, it, it, is, it is one of the subjects that you will receive attacks from the ungodly surrounding creation, whether it's uh, uh, an old earth in comparison to a young earth, whether it's dealing with evolution, whether it's dealing with the Big Bang theory and the creation of the universe or the origin of the universe. At some point in your experience, once someone that is an unbeliever and does not have trust and faith in the Lord and confidence in the Word of God, they will challenge you on what the Bible says concerning creation. There is, a, there is an unrelenting attack brought upon the biblical doctrine of creation by those that are unsaved. And so I don't want to rush through it. I want to take my time and then even maybe potentially branch out, not just from creation, but to deal with uh, aspects of Genesis, specifically the flood, Noah's flood, and how Noah's flood uh, affected the world and the whole debate that is surrounding Noah's flood as well. So we'll just have to see how the Lord leads. But I want to begin this, especially today, in dealing with creation, because not only is Christ the Son of God, and not only has He been appointed to this position of authority by the Father, and this appointment was before the world began. It's part of the eternal decree of God. But then we're told here that he's the creator of the end of the earth. He also made the worlds. Now, in dealing with creation, obviously it's a massive subject, and it helps to have um, those that have done labor and work uh, in this uh, regarding creation. If... If you've never heard of Dr. Cairns' Dictionary of Theological Terms, I encourage you to get it. Dr. Cairns was the pastor of our church in, in Greenville for many years, 30 plus years. And he wrote a number of different books, but perhaps the most influential of those books was his Dictionary of Theological Terms. Um, I didn't realize uh, the, the, the magnitude of the influence that that book has in evangelicalism today. Uh, many of you would have heard, will have heard of uh, Steve Lawson. Uh, Stephen Lawson, he's a, he was a pastor for many years, then he, he retired, and, and he does um, conferences, different, different conferences. He's a, he's a, a well-known name uh, in Reformed circles uh, in theology. And my brother-in-law, Stephen Lee, had the opportunity to go to his place a number of years ago, and... Uh, Dr. Lawson took him into his study and shelves and shelves of books, just as many books as you can imagine Dr. Lawson might have. But 
uh, he was very careful to tell Stephen that on his desk, he only has, I can't remember if it was three or four books that are on his desk within arm reach. And one of those books is Dr. Cairns' Dictionary of Theological Terms. Such is the respect and the appreciation that someone like Steve Lawson had for, or continues to have for Dr. Cairns' book. Uh, he keeps it within arm length. And I found it a, 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 an amazing tool uh, in uh, just helping to explain different things, even something like this with creation. So Dr. Cairns, in his book, The Dictionary of Theological Terms, says this, Only God is eternal. Remember, we were dealing with this last week. There's a difference between eternal and everlasting. You know, we are everlasting. Our souls will live forever, but we're not eternal, right? Only God is eternal. Therefore, every other being and thing had a beginning in time. The biblical record of creation is the revealed truth of God regarding the, uh, the, retru- the revealed truth of God regarding the beginning of all these temporal things. And then he quotes Genesis 1:1, "In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth." In this one sentence is summed up the whole truth on the subject. In the beginning, God created the heavens, and the earth. Four things he draws from that. First of all, he says, nothing in the material universe is eternal. It was created in the material universe. It's all been created. Second thing is God created all of those things in heaven and in earth. The third thing is, in this creation, he brought into existence that which before had no existence. And then the fourth thing, thus Creation, properly speaking, is the doctrine that by his own will and word, the eternal, sovereign, and almighty God called into existence such things as he pleased without the use of pre-existing materials, or as the Latin term would say, ex nihilo, created everything out of nothing without the use of pre-existing material. From this... It is evident that the entire material universe in all its parts is either uncaused, nor self-caused, nor accidentally caused. It is God-caused. And that sentence there, the fourth point that he he makes, crosses swords with every other theory that's proposed regarding the origin of our planet and the origin of the universe. It's not... It's neither uncaused, nor self-caused, nor accidentally caused. It is God-caused. And so it brings us back to consider that verse that we thought about uh, last week, about faith being a gift. We're mentioning regarding witnessing and bringing the gospel to those that are unsaved. And I made reference to the fact that Ephesians chapter 2 Verse 8 tells us that faith is a gift. By grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. So not only in dealing with salvation, but even in accepting and believing the biblical account account of creation, uh, faith is a gift that's given by the Lord. And so on many of these, these statements, especially regarding the person of Christ. It doesn't surprise me 
that those who reject the gospel and those to whom the Lord has not revealed the truth of the word and given faith to rest upon and trust in the revealed word of God. It doesn't surprise me then that those that have not faith reject what the scripture says. The important thing is for us who are God's people to whom the gift of faith has been given to examine the scriptures and to see what the Lord has said. None of us were there. So we're going to have to believe the account given to us in the word of God. And so understanding that and and verses such as later in this book in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 3 in that great chapter of faith, the great faith chapter, the apostle Paul says through faith we understand that the world's were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Paul, before he gets, we often talk about that chapter being the chapter of the heroes of faith. right? And and if you go through that chapter, most of the chapter is person after person to whom the Lord gave this gift of faith and the great exploits that they did for the Lord through faith. Yet before he even gets into individuals, he starts right at the very beginning and makes the, the sweeping statement that everything that took place that resulted in the creation of the universe and creation of our planet and everything that we can see that's material in the world today, we accept by faith that that was made by the word of God. And so it be, it, it's, a, it's a foundation from which then we launch out into our definition and our understanding of creation. You cannot prove to someone who rejects what the Bible says that God created the world. You can say that there's evidence that he did and there's things that we can see in the world that tell us where it came from. But they'll always come up with a different answer. They'll always come up with a different source for why it's that way. Ultimately, the Lord has to open the eyes. And so understand that when you deal with creation. It's incumbent upon us not to get caught up up in in chasing our own tail, in, in endless debates and pointless arguments concerning the early chapters of Genesis. Just stick with the word. Stick with the word. And just like Paul on Mars Hill, as I said last week, when he preached the word, some mocked. Others said, we'll hear you again on this matter. And some believed. It's not up to you. You don't determine who believes. You preach the truth. You give the truth. And the Lord will give the gift of faith to those whose eyes he opens. And so that that takes a lot of, of pressure off of us. That we don't have to be scholars as it were we don't have to spend years of our lives studying evidence and proofs and and all these other things if you do that's great right if i would if i would have spent my time doing that as much time as i've watched college football i probably would be an expert on all these things but to believe and rest upon what the Bible says concerning creation, does not require me to have an answer for every attack that's brought against creation. It's enough for me to read in this book what God says happened in the formation of the universe 
and to trust that. I'm happy with that. I'm content with that. And that is the basis or the, the, the information that you should give to others. This is what God's word says concerning creation. So how is it that one born of a woman, think about this now, which is substance, right? It's material. Human flesh is material. How is it that one born of a woman who hungered, who thirsted, wept, bled, and died is also said to be the one who created all things out of nothing? Your understanding of the person of Christ can only go so far. How can one individual be called Jehovah and man at the same moment? Again, last week we considered 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Now the word mystery that's found in the New Testament... It's not like what we often think of like a murder mystery, right? You pick up clues and then you can put things together and, and the real smart ones, right? Sherlock Holmes, he, he, he always had ways of seeing things that he could figure these things out. That's not what the word means. The word mystery in the New Testament means it's something that can only be understood by revelation. Only God can reveal to us the information that is called a mystery, and so that you have to understand that's how the word's used in the New Testament. So when you hear, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. The Lord himself is saying, this is not something that you can understand. The only way you know that it's a fact is because I revealed it to you. Right? God was manifest in the flesh. Justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. But great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. Now, regarding the world and all the material in the world being created by God, and our passage says that God, that it was Christ that was set aside or appointed to do the creation. Now, if you go throughout the scriptures, and we're not going to take time to do this, you, just, you can do it in your own time. All three persons of the Godhead were present in creation. But in this passage specifically, in dealing with the person of Christ, creation is attributed to Christ, the second person of the Godhead. Last week we dealt with uh, what we call Jehovah's Witnesses. They're also known as the Russellites. The doctrine that they hold or that they teach, which is heresy, is that Christ is not Jehovah. And we spent a great deal of time going throughout Old Testament passages showing that the name Jehovah was used and the New Testament quotations of those texts that apply it to Christ. We're not going to take time to do that again. But they reject that Christ is very God of very God, of the same substance with the Father. But they also twist and corrupt the Scriptures to support their errors. And, and so when, when you're dealing with the mystery of godliness, something that can only be accepted by revelation, it doesn't surprise us then that those that reject Christ try to, to do whatever they can to rationalize it, for it to make sense. The, the Jehovah's Witnesses place a, a very high emphasis upon the understanding of man. So much so that the doctrines, and specifically the doctrine of creation and the person of Christ, they twist and they corrupt because it doesn't make sense. And their founders, 
put it in, in those terms. They, they, didn't, they didn't mince words. They made it very clear. Uh, Charles Taze Russell, he was the one that founded the Jehovah's Witness movement, but the one who really solidified their doctrine was Judge Rutherford, who came after Russell. He kind of took over the reins of the movement. And I say he, he wrote many different commentaries and had many thoughts concerning different Bible passages. Um, Russellism, as according to Dr. Cairns, looks on reason, follow me here, they look on reason as a foundation upon which, and then he quotes Rutherford, we have endeavored to build the teachings of Scripture in such a manner that so far as possible, purely human judgment may try its squares and angles. Okay, that's one of the founders of, of the Jehovah's Witness movement. He also goes on to say, let us examine the character of the writings claimed as inspired, claimed as inspired, to see whether their teachings correspond with the character we have reasonably imputed to God. Okay, so in essence what he's saying is, we've read the Bible, we have thoughts as to what God should be like, and therefore every doctrine that we read and come across, we have to kind of check that at our minds first before we believe that that is true of God. And so you'll find that just not the Jehovah's Witnesses, but especially them, because they, made it, they didn't make any bones about it. They made it very clear that the Scripture was subservient to reason. If it didn't make sense to them, if they couldn't understand it, then they didn't believe it. And so it doesn't surprise us then that when you come to passages where the creation of the universe and the creation of the world is attributed to Christ, that they twist it. And the, the twisting of the Scripture is so blatant it's so brazen. They simply add words to the Greek text, words that are not there, to make it say what they want it to say. You say, well, I don't, I don't believe that. Well, let me read to you from their version of the Scriptures, which is the New World Translation. Turn, turn with me to, in, in your Bibles, turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. I want you to, to see what the Scripture says, and I want you to see what they did. And, and sometimes if you have the authorized version, the King James Version, one of, the, one of the many things I appreciate about the King James Version is that when the translators needed to supply words to give the sense, uh, sometimes, and it's true of any time you translate from one language to another, no language translates perfectly. Read what Luther said about translating from Latin to German. Okay, he, it was, he had a, a bear of a time trying to translate from Latin to German. So you always lose something in translation. It's the same with, with Spanish and English. There's, there's emphasis that's meant to be given to certain words that the other person translating may not even pick up. Well, if you don't pick up that emphasis, the whole point of using the word falls to the ground, right? So, so what the authorized version, the translators did, is that when they had to supply English words to for you to understand what was being said. They put it in italics, right? So that it's the flow, you get the sense of it, but they want you to understand that they actually added to this. So they're very careful. They were very careful about how they translated from the original manuscripts. In Colossians chapter 1, in dealing with Christ, again, some of the greatest verses you can say regarding his work, who hath delivered us, verse 13, from the power of darkness, hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. And then in verse 15, who is the image 
of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And, by, and, and, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Okay? That's what the scripture says. Now listen to how the New World Translation put that in their Bible. Colossians 1 verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, because by means of him all other things were created in the heavens and on the earth, the things visible and the things invisible, whether they be thrones or lordships or governments or authorities. All other things have been created through him and for him. Also, he is before all other things, and by means of him, all other things were made to exist. Four times, four times when the scripture is clear that the work of creation is attributed to Jesus Christ, they can't understand how Christ coming in the flesh could have been the one responsible for creating all things out of nothing. And so to support their heresy, and they make... They make no indication in their text that they supplied it. At least they could have been honest enough to say that. That this isn't in the Greek, but we supplied it because we don't believe that they just add it. And so the adding of the word other four separate times supports their understanding that Christ was the first thing created. And then God used him to create all other things. That's not what the passage says. The passage says that he created all things. Now concerning this passage, Matthew Henry said, not that he himself is a creature. This term that he was the first begotten, the first begotten, says, he says, it signifies his dominion over all things as the firstborn in a family is the heir and Lord of all. So he is the heir of all things. The word prototokos, right? You can almost see the word prototype in that word, right? That's where we get our English word prototype, prototokos. That's the Greek word that's used here. It signifies actively the first begetter or the first producer of all things. And so the passage isn't saying in Colossians that God made Christ and then Christ made all things. No, Christ is the one that by virtue of the position that he was given by the Father created all things. And so if you, if you understand that that's what the passage is saying, you don't have to add all other things because it's, it's pointless. It actually takes you away from what the text is saying. And so in professing Christianity, there's a rejection of Christ creating all things according to our text. But then, and this is where I want to spend the remainder of our time, just we'll begin this. I'm not sure how far we're going to get, but more often than not, you're going to receive blowback from the ungodly and from those that are studiers of so-called science about creation. And so you'll get an attack every now and then from someone who says they're, they're a Christian but doesn't believe that Christ is Jehovah. Okay, we already dealt with that. You don't need to go to the Colossians passage to prove that. We had five or six references clearly and actually in their own Bible, the New World Translation, you can take the Jehovah's Witnesses to those passages where it literally has Lord in all caps. And then you ask them, who's it talking about, right? So that it, you don't even need to argue from Colossians to prove 
that Christ is Jehovah and he created all things. But when you're dealing with the ungodly who reject all biblical truth, that's an attack that every one of you are going to receive at some point, if you haven't already. And so I want to focus upon this specifically regarding the creation of, of all things, or the origin of the universe and the planet. Again, it's not a, an in-depth study. I'm not a scientist, nor the son of a scientist. Okay? I'm just a landscaper, right? I know how to pull weeds up and put, put nice things in the ground. Okay, so, but I'm trying to wrestle through the arguments that are brought against what the Scripture says. And I, it's, it's possible. You can actually take their own arguments and show the fallacy of their own arguments. So you have the, what the cults say, then you have what the ungodly. And, and primarily, there's, there's all different views as to the origin of the universe. That uh, it was intelligent design created by aliens and the aliens disappeared. There's a higher life form. Uh, some who believe in other uh, origins of the universe, the Big Bang, um, that's usually what's promoted. It's actually what's promoted by the government uh, and branches of the government. I don't know for sure if it's promoted by, by Canada, um, but some of the quotations I have here are from NASA. Um, that's, that's American, obviously, but um, actually, I, I think it is actually North American, right, in their name. It's not, it's not just the United States, but... Um, and then you have other, other views as well, some that believe in the Big Bang, but believe that God used the Big Bang. There's all different strains among those that are educated as to how the universe came into existence. So I want to I just spend a few moments dealing with this. According to NASA's website, around 13.8 billion years ago, okay, the universe expanded faster than the speed of light for a fraction of a second. And we're going we're gonna to get to the, the leap the leap that they made just in that state. All the things they assume, just by that sentence, that they just start there. Don't let anyone deceive you into thinking that the ungodly don't start from presuppositions. Okay? The amount of presuppositions that they just accept as fact to make that statement is ridiculous. But they say 13.8 around, give or take a couple billion years. right? 13.8 billion years ago, the universe expanded faster than the speed of light for a fraction of a second. A period called, called cosmic inflation. Right? You thought inflation's powerful when it comes to a nation's currency. Here, cosmic inflation caused what you're going to read about here. Scientists aren't sure what came before inflation or what powered it. It's possible that the energy during this period was just part of the fabric of space-time. Cosmologists think inflation explains many aspects of the universe we observe today, like its flatness or lack of curvature on the largest scales. Inflation may have also magnified density differences that naturally occur on space's smallest quantum level of scales, which eventually helped form the universe's large-scale structure. Okay, so they pretty much say that 13.8 billion years ago, light, the speed of light, did something different and it created pretty much everything that is before you. And it, they go on to explain. We don't have time to explain the entire theory. But something caused this explosion of matter that created not just our solar system and our planets and the sun, but created the, the known universe. Uh, everything that we see, even as far out as we can observe, was created 
uh, from, a, from a, an area of matter that is only a very small matter. And so in, in dealing with this theory, this is predominantly the theory of, of NASA and scientists and, and the education uh, realm within our universities, I did, a, I did a, a, a web search on what was before the Big Bang, right? Because even NASA admits that they don't know what moved the speed of light to, to pick up pace. They don't know what was the, the original mover, which is often referred to as first source. Because regardless of what view you hold, other than believing what the Bible says, you have to wrestle with what caused the first movement in the creation of the universe. So I went to, uh, to Reddit. I've, I've never... I, I never spend much time on Reddit. If I, if I try to find out information, I usually go to YouTube and watch a video. I'm, I'm too dumb to read. I, I prefer to watch stuff. So I, I prefer to watch someone explain it to me than to me, for me to sa- actually sit there and read through stuff. But I went to Reddit because it, it was one of the first things that came up. And there was a, a fellow that posted something that he wanted to be discussed. And I just thought it was interesting. I took the first five or six references or, or the responses to this question. Listen to the question. I've been thinking more about this. I've been thinking about this more and more lately and trying to wrap my head around what was before the Big Bang. People say nothing. Well, what exactly is nothing? Even the idea of nothing is something. It's an idea. If the Big Bang started history and time, what was before that? Something has to initiate the Big Bang. And I'm trying to think of what space looked like and how that space was created. Okay, so here's just a guy. He was told that this is how the universe came into being. And he's saying, yeah, but it it doesn't answer what caused the bang. Something had to move upon it. Or as I said to my son, as I was talking to him about it, firecrackers don't go off by themselves. Well, sometimes you don't have to light them, but it's still goes off because something caused the powder to ignite. Maybe, maybe the sun's rays, maybe it got so hot that it exploded. Something caused the explosion. Whether you actually did it or some other force did it, you can't get an explosion unless something moves upon it. They refer to that as the first source. So this, this ordinary guy is just throwing that out there. Look, I know what I've been told, but it breaks down. Like I, I, There has to be something that caused it all. And so this fellow, Tricky Kids, answers, he says, the real answer here, and I, I didn't put any answers by Christians or that appeared to be Christians, okay, just to show you that regardless of the pressure that's put upon students today to believe these things, there are people out there that know that what they're being told is not a sufficient answer to the creation of the universe. He says this, the real answer here is that no one knows. The Big Bang is as far back as we currently have ability to find evidence of. It may, be even, it may even be that it's impossible for anything in this universe to perceive beyond or before the space-time in which we exist. Or to put it another way, if we in this universe experience existence in terms of space-time and space-time began with the Big Bang, then that means we have no way of experiencing anything before it. But that isn't the same as nothing, this guy says. Nothing doesn't exist, right? So even he's acknowledging something's there. This other fellow posted, as Stephen Hawking puts it, 
What is north of the North Pole? The real answer here is that we'll probably never know. Even if we discover what was before the Big Bang, then there's another question. Okay, where did that come from? With every answer, we'll raise another question going deeper into the rabbit hole. What was before the Big Bang? Well, an event we call Proto-Big Bang. Okay, where did that come from? From two universes colliding. Okay, so where'd the other universe come from? And then ultimately, jokingly, he says, from a cereal box you bought as a kid. Right? They understand that it doesn't matter what these people say is their idea of where it started. They're, the minds of even the ungodly, those whose faith and trust is not in Christ, are so wired, and I believe it's because we're created in the image of God, are so wired to question the, the, the origin of what they're being told, that ultimately there has to be a first source. And then I, I put this in here as well, and this is just one line, and you can feel the, 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 you can feel the despair that not trusting in what God's word says regarding creation, you can feel the despair. Just one line, this guy says, just stumbled here, I can never sleep. This is all I think about. We are so pointless. That's what he says. Not understanding where it all started leaves you to determine there's no purpose. We're just an accident. It, it, it doesn't explain how it all started. This guy says, I feel you in response to that. I think about this just about every day. Now my guess is he doesn't tell anybody he thinks about it. But if you believe what they say is the origin of the universe, you have to think about this. It just doesn't make it doesn't compute. And then the last reference in this, and again, it just kept going on and on. And I thought for sure, you know, on, the, on the first Reddit response, that someone somewhere was going to give the scientific answer that is going to try to silence the creationists. I just took the first five minutes, it kept going on and on. This guy says, my undergrad thermodynamics professor talked about this in one of his lectures on the second law. His thoughts were that this is where you leave the realm of science and mathematics and start into metaphysics, philosophy, and even theology. Not saved. And even he knows you're getting into the first source. It leads you into theology. Any idea conceived about this is pure conjecture from his understanding. And then he talks about his professor. From his experience, those holding to positions explaining any pre-Big Bang condition that they held or held said positions in almost a religious-like manner, even though most would bristle at such a description due to their agnostic or even atheistic insistence. His conclusion was that they operated in, for lack of a better term, faith in their positions. No different than he did uh, that there, than he did that there was an or, that he did that there was an or, originator to the Big Bang. Okay, so he agreed. This this professor agreed that probably the world came in through a Big Bang, right? He's, he he believed that, but he believed that the originator was God. So he had a different view, and so what he was saying is ultimately everyone has to trust something by faith of where it all started. And he says, these people are not being honest 
with those that, that hold to a different view. And he says, I discussed with him in the office for hours once. And he said most of his colleagues, not all, were really bad at holding their positions since they would posit, claim, and even publish ideas about pre-Big Bang conditions, but when pressed to explain further, would almost always pivot to speak equivocally. In other words, when someone who knew what they were talking about pressed them on the issue, they pretty much had to say, well, yeah, maybe it, it, it didn't happen this way. I, I say all that to say that in school and in areas where maybe the mind of the individual has not been sharpened concerning the theories, what they propose as fact is really their faith in their source. And so the very mockery, and, and we'll get to that at a, a later point in Second Peter chapter 3, they're actually called scoffers and mockers talking about the Lord and his coming. Even they who mock those that have faith that the worlds were framed by the word of God. Those that have the audacity and, and these, these foolish individuals who dare step out in faith and say, I happen to believe the Bible. That in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And they will try to run, run you in circles to, to get you to deny what the Bible says, even among their colleagues, if they're honest, they are walking by faith in something that they don't know exists. And so the very attack that's brought against God's people, and, and we'll have to end here, we're actually going to get into um, some other things about um, the origin of the universe. But I want you to understand that this passage that we're considering today as I said, what is it that makes Christ so special? What is it that makes Christ so special? This passage tells us he's not only God's son, and not only was he appointed to this place of dominion and authority by God the Father, he created the worlds by whom he made the worlds. And so when you go back to Genesis, and you read the Genesis account, and you understand that the one operating there is the second person of the Trinity. You realize that the one who came and took human flesh, we recognize that this time of year, right? The baby in the manger, right? The one who came to take human flesh and to be born in the manner in which he came into the world is the one who has existed from eternity past, the mighty God, and the one in Genesis chapter 1 who said, let there be light, and there was light. I don't have to understand the ins and outs of creation. I don't have to understand what took place in eternity past. The Lord has given me faith to trust and rest upon what the scripture says. And I'm so thankful for his grace and his mercy that delivered me from false faith in what the ungodly say, in an attempt to get your eyes and your minds off of the Son of God. I'm so thankful for the Lord's mercy that opened my eyes to understand that this book can be trusted. Everyone has faith. My desire today is that your faith and trust would be in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
it, it adds something to his work when you read through the the New Testament and you you hear the great things that he did in the flesh. He hath done all things well. This man hath done nothing amiss, right? All the things that Christ did. And then to understand in an even greater fashion that he not only is the one who accomplished our our redemption upon this earth, he's the one that spoke it all into being. Who's the one that came walking in the garden when man fell into sin? Who's the one that made the coats of skins that actually had to take the life and shed the blood of an animal to clothe Adam and Eve? It's the very one who would come into the world who would redeem his people. That's that's our Savior. So why why is Christ so special? He's the eternal God. He's He's the one that spoke everything into being. And as we'll find out later in this chapter, he's the one that upholds all things by the word of his power. So he's the creator. As I said, Lord willing, we'll, we'll continue this uh, the next time we get together in January because there's, there's so much regarding creation and the attack that the ungodly bring that try to, to get you to doubt the word of God. Remember what I said? That the primary attack that the devil brings is to always attack the word of God. Stand upon the word of God. Trust in what the Lord says in his word. How firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. I trust that the the Lord will bless this this consideration of this, this topic, this theme, to our hearts today for Jesus' sake. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Father, we thank thee once again that... We have the scriptures that we have not been left to ourselves to conjure up some thoughts as to how things may have begun. But we're told exactly how everything came into existence. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Father, we're thankful for Christ, our Redeemer, as well as our Creator. And Father, we pray that you would take us from this place today rejoicing, knowing that this is the one that we serve. He is our Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to end our service by singing hymn number 275, hymn number 275, and we'll stand together to sing all these verses.